You know what I, image I think we have to be done with based on that? Nice Jesus image. Actually, it comes from a much greater problem. Nice Christians. Did you know that's not supposed to be a thing? Where in the Bible does it say Christians are supposed to be nice? It's not a virtue. <laughs> Do you know what Christians are supposed to be? Good. <laughs> Do you know what Christians are supposed to be? Righteous and holy and loving and gentle and, and kind and generous. Christians are supposed to be all those things, but you know what we're not? Because nice means you're just okay with everything. And we can't be. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Well, we're here in the season of Epiphany, and we're just looking at Christ. Christ is being revealed to us. Transfiguration Sunday is the Sunday where we see Christ and all of his deity and all of his glory and all of his power. And today we're going to be finishing up some time in the Psalms together. And we're going to get a special look at the power, the deity, and the love of Jesus. This is Psalm 110, just a titan of a psalm. Of David, a psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn, and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way. And so, he will lift up his head. This is God's word. The writer, John, Stuart once said that poetry is overheard speech. So he imagined it, right? The, the poet, she sits there at a desk, she's writing out the poem. And what you do as you experience the poem, as you listen to the poem, is you overhear. You overhear the poet speaking. I tell you that because actually that's a lot of the Bible. It's overheard speech. 
It's not directly to you. You overhear it. So, so Paul writes a letter to people in Colossae. Paul writes a letter to people in Galatia. Paul writes a letter, you get it. John writes a letter to the seven churches. Peter writes a letter to the exiles. James writes a letter to the twelve tribes. It's not to you. You overhear it. Old Testament's the same way. Isaiah prophesies about Eden or, or Israel or Egypt. It's not to you. You overhear it. I start there because here in, in Psalm 110, you get one of the most extreme examples of this in the entire Bible. You overhear a conversation between God and his Christ. It's not to you. You overhear it. Christians for a long time have thought that that, that's what makes this psalm so powerful. It's a It's a titan of a a psalm because you hear what God says to Christ up in heaven. And so in the New Testament, Christians, they quote it and they they quote it and they quote it and they they quote it. Psalms is massively quoted in the New Testament, but nothing like Psalm 110. You want to know the stats on this? In the New Testament, Psalm 110 is alluded to, to, it's referenced somehow 30 times. 30 times. In the New Testament, Psalm 110, in addition to that, is quoted. It gets a direct quote 17 times. Of the 150 Psalms, the most read book in the Bible, some of the most important literature you'll find from God's Holy Spirit, This psalm is one of the top ones. And that's what makes it so perfect for Transfiguration Day. Here, God himself reveals his son. As you overhear this conversation in heaven. And by the end of it, what I want to show you is this. That Christ is your perfect peace. Now why? First, because Christ, the psalm says, is total deity. He is total deity. I want to start at that like this. The psalm It opens up, as we already said, by letting us know that we're hearing, overhearing a conversation between God and Christ. In other words, the Father is talking to the Son in this intra-Trinitarian conversation. In other words, God is talking to God. Now, 
there's a, we, we can get at this. It's a little bit of a, a little bit of a brain teaser. So just follow the twists and turns of this. This is what everybody knew. Everybody knew this. Everybody knew that, that David's son is the Messiah. The Messiah is going to be David's son. Everybody knew that David's son is going to be the Messiah. But, but this is what it says. David writes this psalm and he says, the Lord said to my Lord. How's that possible? How can David's son also be his king? How can David's son also be his Lord? That's the brain teaser. Here's how. Because Jesus is not just David's son. He's also his Lord. Jesus is not just the offspring of David. He is also his progenitor. Jesus is not just, see, the branch of David. He is the root of David. And so Jesus is not just the son of David. He is the son of God. This is nothing less than a claim that the Christ is total deity. This can give us perfect peace. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get you there. C.S. Lewis, when he would unpack verses like this, he would very quickly say that we should take Jesus very seriously. He said we shouldn't do it like other people. We shouldn't approach Jesus and say, you know, he's, a, he's an exemplary human. That's who he is. He's an exemplary human. He's, he's a great moral teacher. He's a great guy. Best guy who ever lived. C.S. Lewis said we shouldn't do that. He said we should take him seriously when he makes the claim that Jesus is the Son of God. And he does make the claim. Jesus said that Psalm 110 is about him. Lewis went at it like this. He said when Jesus makes a claim like that, he's one of three things. He's either A, a poached egg which is kind of like an English person saying that you're crazy. Or B, you're a devil from hell. Or C, you are who you say you are. Lewis even said, this is what you should do about it. This, here's what you should do about it. If he is A, a poached egg, then you need to shut him up and get him in an insane asylum. Or B, you need, to, you need to gag him and kill him because he's a devil. But if it's C, the only proper thing to do is fall down on your knees and call him God and Lord. This is what brings you peace. 
ever thought about this? We, we have, in our church, we have this thing called the Large Catechism. It's a wonderful devotional work. You should all read it. In the Large Catechism, this is what it says. Your God is anything that you expect good from. Secular people today say, well, I don't have a God. I don't, you know, I don't have a totem pole or I don't get on my hands and knees. And, and our Large Catechism says, oh, yes, you do. Everybody has a God. Your God is what you expect good from. That's your God. It might be your beauty. My beauty is going to get me what I want. It might, 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 might be your money. It might be, it might be your own personal power. It might be your own personal efforts. It might be that. But you've got a God. And if you have the wrong one, then it's not going to deliver you the goods. In fact, isn't that why you get nervous sometimes? Isn't it? You realize how, how, how fleeting your beauty is, and so you're full of self-hatred. You realize how empty your own power is, and so you feel so much anxiety. Jesus is the real, true God. He is total deity. So that when you turn to him and you fall down on your hands and your knees and you call him God and Lord, he gives you everything. That is perfect peace. So that's the first part of the psalm. He is, he is total deity. But then we have to go to the second part of the psalm, which teaches us that he is also Total sovereign. So you get these words. David, David says, the Lord says to my Lord. You get this inter-Trinitarian conversation. And then the Lord says to his Christ this. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. See, this imagery comes from war. Did you know that? It comes from war. When you have a victorious king who conquers and subjugates his enemies, what he does to prove it is he takes his foot and he puts it on the jugular of his enemies. It is utter domination. It is utter subjugation. And what the psalm does is says this is what Jesus Christ ultimately is going to be. He is total sovereign. The rest of the psalm pushes it out. It says how big is the kingdom of, of Jesus? How big is this kingdom? It, it goes out into the earth. The psalm says, how big, how total, how, how complete is the subjugation of Jesus? How ultimate is his dominance? How big is it? It tells you he rules in the midst of his enemies. Not in the friendly territories, that's easy. He rules in the midst of his enemies. It's almost like you can imagine Jesus. He's so powerful that he is sipping on a martini. And he's got his feet propped up on an ottoman that are his enemies. 
Jesus Christ is total sovereignty. You know what image I think we have to be done with based on that? Nice Jesus image. Actually, it comes from a much greater problem. Nice Christians. Did you know that's not supposed to be a thing? Where in the Bible does it say Christians are supposed to be nice? It's not a virtue. Do you know what Christians are supposed to be? Good. Do you know what Christians are supposed to be? Righteous and holy and loving and gentle and and kind and generous. Christians are supposed to be all those things, but you know what we're not? Nice. Because nice means you're just okay with everything. And we can't be. Evil is real and sin is real. And so Christians aren't supposed to be nice, but it comes from a greater problem. Why do think Christians think they're supposed to be nice? Well, because they think Jesus is nice. And Jesus is many things. He is powerful. He is strong. He is good. He is holy. He is right. He's humble. He's gentle. He's peaceable. He's all those things and so much more. But the one thing that we see today that he is not is nice. He takes his feet and he props them up on his enemies like they are an ottoman. This is, of course, really bad news for Jesus' enemies. But it's good news for his people. And I want to talk about that. Do you really want a nice Jesus? I'll tell you what, you want a loving Jesus? Don't you want a loving Jesus? I want, I want a loving Jesus. I want him to forgive me when I've been bad. He does that. He's a loving Jesus. I want him, I want him to be a gentle Jesus. I don't, want to take, I don't want him to take me and break me when I'm this, this bruised reed that can split in half. I want him to be gentle with me. But the one thing that I don't want Jesus ever to be is nice. I don't think you do either. Do you want Jesus to be nice to cancer? I got, a, I got a text from a friend this week. He's got a daughter who's in a life or death situation with cancer. Do you want Jesus to be nice to cancer? There's war in Europe. Do you want Jesus to say, oh, nice puppy, nice puppy, do whatever you want, who cares if people die? You don't want him to be nice. You want him to be good. You want him to be holy. You want him to be righteous. You want him to be total sovereign. So here's where the rubber meets the road. Tell me your fears. And I will meet them with the power of Jesus. Are you afraid for your grandkids? Jesus has got this. 
You tired? Are you weak? Are you wondering how you can get it done? Jesus takes what's wrong in your life and he props his feet on, up on them like they're an ottoman. He is that powerful. See, to the extent that sometimes we have nerves in our lives, it's because we have this image of nice Jesus in our heads. He's not nice. He's good. He's right. He's holy. He's powerful. But he is sovereign. And that can bring you perfect peace. So we have Jesus here, his total deity. And second, we have Jesus here, his total sovereignty. But thirdly here, we have Jesus' total, total, total salvation. As God moves along in the psalm, he swears. God swears. He says, you, Christ Jesus, are going to be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And I'm going to take you through that. I want to, two different parts. I'm going to take you through that. I want to show you something here that's massively, massively theological and that I'm going to secondly take you through and show you how this is perfect, perfectly personal in your life. First, I want to show you what's massively theological about this. See, God comes out and he says, Jesus is a different kind of priest. He is a diff- he's, not, he's not an ironic priest. He's not one of those priests of Aaron. He's not like one of those priests in the Old Testament. This is not Jesus. Jesus is a priest. Yes, he is a priest. It is his job to bring you safely to God. That's his job. But he's not like Aaron. He's like Melchizedek. Now you're sitting there going, who's Melchizedek? I'll tell you who Melchizedek is. Melchizedek is a king priest in Genesis. He comes and goes like a flash. He comes in and all he's got, he's got no father. He's got no mother. I'm I'm fleshing this out for you like, like the writer of the Hebrews does. He's got no father. He's got no mother. It's as if the writer of the Hebrews says that Melchizedek has no beginning. And no end. It's like he lives forever. That's so much different from Aaron. Do you know what always happens to the Aaronic priests? They die. They always die. This is the thing about ministers. They bring you the goods of Jesus Christ. That's all they do. They bring it to you. They love you. They touch you. They move you. But here's the thing. They always die. They can never stay forever. 
but Jesus does. He is a priest forever. He doesn't just deliver you the goods. He is the goods. He doesn't just talk to you about salvation. He is salvation itself. God swears. This is, this is what I want. This is what I want to make perfectly personal to you if I can. God swears. I, I don't have to tell you this, right? That, that God doesn't get up on an oath, witness stand, and take oaths that often. I mean, this is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. This is not hyperbole here. This is, this is a verse where God comes out and he swears in oath. I mean, do you realize what a big deal this is? When somebody, I swear, right? When somebody swears, the writer of Hebrews, he fleshes this out. He he pushes it in. He's he's saying to us, this should be perfectly personal to you. See, God God is coming to you and saying, this isn't isn't just me. You know, it could be, you know, God doesn't change. God doesn't change. God doesn't change. Change. Did I emphasize that enough? His word doesn't either. So by two unchangeable things, not one, two unchangeable things, God is pushing into your heart. He's saying, I swear, Jesus Christ is your priest who will bring you to God by his blood forever. Back in 1994, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you that I used to listen to a song that became a hot hit both in country and in R&B. And the title of the song was, I Swear. (laughs) And it was about a man who loved a woman and said, I will always be there for you. I swear. Now, I'm embarrassed about it because it's actually kind of sappy, especially when the sax comes in. But it's also instructive. Because one of the lyrics in the song says this. I'm swearing because I see the questions in your eyes. Don't you love that? I think there's two things in the Christian life that are most difficult to believe. The first is when you first become a Christian, it's so difficult to believe that Jesus actually forgives all your sins. All of them. The second hardest thing to believe, I think, in all of Christianity is once you've been a Christian for a while and you were supposed to have been better 
And you are supposed to have changed more. And you are supposed to be stronger. But you're not. And so the second hardest thing to believe, I think, in all of Christianity is when you've been a Christian for a while, that Jesus still forgives you. Don't you see? He didn't just forgive you once. He is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. God swears. And that can bring you perfect peace. So we have this psalm. And I suppose I could have gone after it in a number of different ways. But I chose this theme of perfect peace. And I did it because of the closing image in the psalm. In the closing image of the psalm, you have this sort of bizarre image. You see Jesus. And what it says is that you see Jesus and he stoops down at a brook and he gets a drink and then he lifts up his head. It's sort of bizarre. Isn't it sort of bizarre? You see Jesus, there he is. He, he's, he gets water from a brook. He stop, stop, stops along the way and then he lifts up his head. And that's the end of the psalm. I think it's so bizarre. We sometimes here at Peace, uh, we've used Psalm 110 in worship, and I've done it without explanation, and then we do it, and I always think to myself, people are going to think that's so weird. Jesus stoops at a brook, he gets a drink, and then he looks up and he lifts his head. So I want to explain it to you. Do you know what it's an image of? It's an image of war. In war, you don't have time to go to a well. You go out there and you fight on the battlefield, and when you need a drink, you stop along the way. And if you're a good warrior, you don't just guzzle water. You look up and you scan the battlefield so you know what to do next. Some of you are tired. Jesus. Some of you are sinners. Actually, all of you are. He isn't. Some of you don't know what's going to happen next in the world. He does. Don't you see it? He's about to get after it. He's your total deity. You can lay your life down at his feet. He's got this. He will be good to you. He is your total sovereign. He's going to take the things in your life, your enemies, prop his feet up on them while he's got his hands tied behind his back and get it done just like that. And he is your total salvation. 
your total salvation. He is your priest forever. In the order of Melchizedek, God swears. God grant you peace on this transfiguration day as you look at his son. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. You are our king priest, the one who rules for us and sacrifices himself for us. The one who is both our victor and the victim of our sin. We praise you, Lord, that you have revealed your son to us through this psalm, but ultimately through his cross and his mighty resurrection. Open our eyes to see his glory on this, his transfiguration remembrance. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.